intimacy, whether it's sexual, emotional, or intellectual, it's essential for all relationships. But now add lung cancer into the mix. Hi there, I'm Diane Mulligan. And I'm Jordan Sherman. A lung cancer diagnosis can impact you emotionally, physically, financially, and mentally. So how does that affect your intimate relationship with your partner? We're going to talk about that on today's Hope With Answers podcast. You know, we're going to talk about the intimacy connection, sex, and lung cancer. What should you expect? How should you talk to your partner? And what should you be talking to your healthcare professional about? My doctor said, well, just stop having so much sex. (laughs) I was like, wait, sex is part of my my uh, treatment program. I I was single when I was diagnosed. I get the great fortune to start a relationship. And it was really important to me, to my sense of identity, to my sense of purpose, to the quality of life. And these issues become really important when you're dealing with a long-term issue. The most important thing that I could communicate to anyone dealing with lung cancer or any chronic illness, honestly, is just to try so hard to communicate with your partner because no one can read a mind. Lung cancer is a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers. But first, it's a disease that affects people. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer. The researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. A diagnosis of lung cancer does not have to diminish the significance of your sex life and intimacy. But it does require communication with your partner and doctor. So today we're going to hear about maintaining intimacy from a cancer patient and a cancer coach. Our first guest is cancer coach Jenny Daniel. She's a registered nurse and founder of My Nurse at Home, a cancer support resource center. Sexual side effects of lung cancer diagnosis can be physical, mental, or emotional. Jenny, let's break down each of those individually, starting with the physical impacts, thinking in terms of energy level, maybe exposing a partner to chemo, um, radiation, pain issues. What can you tell us about that? So you have to realize that, you know, sexuality in general is really a very fundamental aspect of somebody's identity. So it's never limited to just, you know, solely sexual intercourse. It can cover like a whole spectrum of affectionate acts. And I think that those are important to, to include like cuddling, intimate conversations, um, the experience and expression of an individual in their sexuality um it's so more involved than just the physical right there's thoughts there's emotions there are actions lung cancer treatment certainly along with the emotional turmoil of just being diagnosed um with a cancer certainly can impact many aspects of a person's sexuality physical side effects you can have the treatment side effects um that may They may have shortness of breath that was either by treatment causing or just from their initial diagnosis, depending on where that tumor is sitting, how large the tumor is. Fatigue is a huge concern for for folks physically. Body image issues, you know, a lot of us become uncomfortable um, with 
changes going on. So imagine any surgery scars or things like that, or you may even have a tube coming out of your chest at different points. Um, there's erection issues, there's vaginal dryness or just total loss of sexual desire. Lack of hormone levels is, is another thing that can be linked to pain and discomfort during sex. Um, your physical attraction, energy level, honestly, fertility issues also come in there. Um, and medication side effects. All of these have such a large amount of physical impact. Um, and it's just so different depending on what some of those or all of those are covered by each individual, right? Who's experiencing what. Um, it's really not a one size fits all, is it? There's never a one size fits all in cancer treatment for anything, anyone. Um, but I think too, the emotional burden plays right into that, right? Because the emotional burden of being caught, uh, diagnosed with a cancer, couples will often kind of pull away from each other. They tend to stop showing affection almost for fear of hurting their partner that's going through the treatment. Um, but there's also the, in, the inner emotional turmoil where there's so much concern about what's going to happen, what the future holds, um, that it's to me, a lot of it is the cancer patient's emotional state that affects the desire, the sexual desire. And some of the problems can definitely be worse for couples that don't have an open sexual communication as well. Jenny, you were just talking about the emotional impact of partners getting together. Talk a little bit more about that. What can how can people deal with those emotional impacts and what does that really encompass? Yeah, there's a lot that it encompasses. I mean, when you're dealing with the emotions, it can be different second to second, minute to minute, and certainly day by day. Um, but like, if you think about from a mood perspective, there's anxiety, there's fear, there, there's a whole host of, of words that we could use, but the lung cancer diagnosis itself can lead to a very heightened anxiety and fear which certainly affects one's ability to actually engage in an act of intimacy. So the fear of like the disease progressing or just the uncertainty of the future can just certainly be emotionally challenging. And obviously again, put, you know, some real strain onto an intimate relationship, depression, um, just to cope with an emotional burden of lung cancer. Again, you're contributing to other feelings, sadness, um, anger, depression. There's so many, again, right? Um, I always call this the emotional roller coaster because it literally could be anything and everything or multiple things all at one time. But the emotional distress, again, can reduce the desire for intimacy and the ability for an individual to connect on an emotional level as well. Um, you think about body image issues and then, um, you know, surgery, chemotherapy radiation, all of those therapies can certainly result in physical changes, scarring, hair loss, weight loss, um, fatigue or weight gain. I shouldn't say just weight loss, but those, you know, those changes to the body images that affects your self-esteem and, and a, your confidence when you're in that intimate situation. Um, if we think about physical symptoms, again, you've got, you know, a lot of lung cancer patients experience pain, fatigue, shortness of breath, nausea, 
all of those would certainly interfere with one's ability to engage in a physical intimacy um, situation. So I'm guessing that when you're talking to men versus talking to women, I mean, you have to kind of break the ice on all of this. How do you go about that? I'm just very matter of fact. Um, I can be a little blunt, which I really try not to be, but sometimes people just need the information. It's not about kind of dancing around it. Like intimacy affects all of us in a different way. It means something different to everyone. And the most important thing that I could communicate to anyone dealing with lung cancer or any chronic illness, honestly, is just to try so hard to communicate with your partner because no one can read a mind. And again, because things change for, from a patient perspective, especially on a minute by minute basis, they may, you know, decide, Hey, I'm in the mood. And then you get into the bedroom and things start happening. And all of a sudden, Oh wait, I'm having like this horrible pain attack or I can't breathe in that position. We need to figure this out. Denny, how important would you say sexual health uh, and or intimacy is to the well-being of people who are living with lung cancer? Um, I think it's really important. I think it, it's just as important as having a connection with anyone. Um, it is important, but we also have to remember that changes in sexual health and identity are very common and are also very distressing. So it can really put an impact on and in making intimacy um, either kind of help promote or kind of further the ability for the patient to get to where they're recovering and they don't have the anxiety, um, especially as it concerns their physical um, changes and their physical bodies and activities. The patient has to be very aware and allow themselves to explore the mental side of the pleasure and desire, which can in turn help improve their level of intimacy. And certainly there's professionals that are out there that their providers can recommend that would be wonderful in being able to aid in helping the person kind of deepen that mind-body connection. But do you find in your experience that, you know, it may be men versus women or women versus men that are experiencing um, more so sexual issues, either physically or mentally, that comes following a lung cancer diagnosis? We know it's not a one size fits all, but just based yeah. on your clinical experience. That, that's a tough question. I'm sh I, I definitely think there are differences and different ways that as providers, we can support men versus women. But I, I like to be a lot more general just because there's comorbidities, meaning other medical issues other things that are also involved in all of these things. And unless you really know the kind of behind the scenes of an individual, you can't, you can't give like specifics, if that makes sense. So yes. what we do know is that sex is all about, and intimacy is all about emotional connection. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, it is that emotional connection. Yeah. Um, but when you get that lung cancer diagnosis and you're going through treatment, the needs of the partners can really change. How do you talk to them about that? And what do you suggest um, and give to them so that they can work through these changes? Yeah, good question. So, you know, it's said that your biggest sex organ is actually your brain, not your genitals. 
So I think that, you know, recognizing that you can have an experience of arousal or even climax, like for a man without even having an erection, um, is something that a lot of men aren't even aware of, right? So I think it's important, again, to bring that mind-body connection together. But an orgasm is happening as much in your brain as it is in your genitals. So allowing yourself to, to explore like the mental side of pleasure and desire can then help improve your intimate life overall. And again, you know, if you struggle with that, there's, there's professionals that help to uh, deepen that mind-body connection. But I think often it's, it's pleasurable for men to pleasure their partner. Um, so, and that's something that you could do whether you have an erection or not, right? So being able to pleasure your partner can still be a turn on for, for both, for both men or, or a woman. Um, and I think that there's more ways to be sexually active, you know, than certainly what we see in the movies or on a TV screen, being creative, um, having open dialogue, the communication that allows you to explore non-penetrative sex is incredibly important. It doesn't have to just be intercourse. Sex is that emotional connection, but it's also communication. So being able to vocalize your desires, your needs, along with your expectations from a partner, actively listening to each other during conversations, um, physical affections, kissing, hugging, cuddling, holding hands. These things can be very comforting to a partner along with intimate and quality time together. So what tips do you have for couples who are living with lung cancer on raising that issue of sexual health with their healthcare professionals? Yeah, yeah. So that's an excellent question. And, and you're right. It's a very uncomfortable um, topic for not just patients, but honestly, there's a lot of providers that have a whole lot of difficulty talking about these things. So I think addressing sexual health, it remains integral to the patient-centered care that we as providers should be giving our patients. You know, as a cancer diagnosis itself, it certainly does not automatically negate the fundamental aspect of human sexuality, right? So we have to normalize the uh, sexual health component of cancer care and asking permission to continue addressing their, the patient's concerns. You know, this should be done by doctors, by nurses, anyone that's caring for the patient they need to also recognize that these conversations can be uncomfortable and that's okay. Not every conversation is an easy one. As providers, I think we need to allow patients the space to really come in and share concerns, ask questions and address their sexuality as non-judgmentally as possible. That to me is key. And really that conversation I think should start a diagnosis and it should be then periodically reassessed as a patient progresses through treatment and then into follow-up, right? But I do believe that sexual health should be addressed, whether it's a provider or a patient that starts that conversation, doesn't matter. Somebody needs to initiate it. Um, and also that, you know, people who do discuss um, and receive treatment for sexual dysfunction they do, it's important to note, report a, an improved quality of life and better communication with their partners. Some of the, the better conversation starters that I've um, had worked 
worked out kind of um, to just for a patient to finally just say, I've read that sexual health issues are common in patients with lung cancer. And I would like to talk a little bit about this, leaving it a very blanket, you know, statement. Um, the other one is to mention that before the new start of treatment or the start of a new treatment, how might this affect my sexuality is just an easy question to ask to start that conversation too. Um, recognizing that it's hard to talk about. So like, I'll tell people like I, you can tell your provider if they seem a little standoffish. I know it's hard to talk about this subject, but I do want to discuss how my cancer has affected my intimacy. Um, another one, my libido has decreased. Can we discuss this? My physical relationship with my partner has changed since my diagnosis of lung cancer. I would like to discuss this with you and find solutions. That way they're making sure that they're saying like, not just talk about it because I'm not trying to just vent. I need help to, to resolve this and move forward. Um, and then the, the, the last one would probably be, what can we do to regain my experience of intimacy with myself and or my partner? Because patients have to remember too, they are part of their healthcare team. They should play an active role in initiating conversations, even when they're difficult. I think those are great conversation starters. They're great ways to have conversations, even with your spouse or your partner and kind of open up that discussion. So thank you for those. Yeah. I think those were fantastic. And I guess thank the bottom line here is that um, if you've had a close, intimate sexual relationship before cancer, there's really hope that you can have that after cancer. And also sure. what I learned is that you could actually have a better relationship if you learn how to increase that communication. So it's it's kind of interesting in talking to you about how not only can you have a relationship, but you can increase it um, by talking, getting more emotionally connected, and that it's not something that you have to say, that's just not part of my life anymore. Yeah. Absolutely. I think keeping in mind that, you know, the diagnosis of a lung cancer does not diminish the significance of your sex life and intimacy. Sexuality is intertwined with, with who we are. It's our sense of self. It's our connection to others. It's a means of communicating with someone that you feel very special, you know, about in your life. It's crucial to engage in these conversations with your healthcare professionals regarding how to actually preserve this aspect, which I think is super vital in everyone's life, of your well-being, because that's really what it is. It's part of your well-being when you're living with or recovering from a lung cancer. Our next guest is New York Times bestselling author, actress, lung cancer survivor, and tireless advocate for lung cancer research. We know her well. She's Annabelle Gerwich, and she is frank and funny. And she has always been talking with informative discussions about what it's like to live with lung cancer. So we recently asked her to share her experiences about lung cancer and intimacy. Well, Annabelle, thanks so much for joining us um, on this podcast. You know, the first question for you today is, you know, can you talk about the unseen side effects of a lung cancer diagnosis? And they could be physical, mental, or emotional, can't they? What was it like for you? Yeah. Jordan, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I think is really challenging 
Uh, and it's also the same thing that's an amazing opportunity is for people who are diagnosed at this point in time, I was diagnosed in 2020, is that uh, with the advent of biomarker therapies and the improved research. So we are in this territory where it's a lot of unknowns for the patient. In the past, uh, you know, there were these sort of known pathways you would follow, um, maybe surgery if that was indicated for you, chemotherapy, radiation, these kinds of treatments that we all become familiar with because we've had friends, family, we've, we've seen the movies where people get cancer. Uh, but this world that we're in right now is so different and it has so much, you know, look, here I am three years into biomarker targeted therapy and it's been stable. I've been so fortunate on that therapy, but it's a lot of unknowns. And so when you're talking about, as we talk today about the kinds of toxicities you experience, whether it's emotional um, or physical or financial from uh, that stem from a lung cancer diagnosis. One of the big issues is that we don't have models to follow. And one thing I wanna really encourage anyone who's recently got a diagnosis is to reach out to groups like this, to find uh, groups if you have been fortunate enough to test positive for a mutation. There's all kinds of patient support groups. Your patient advocate base is really the best support for this. And so as a patient advocate, I'll talk about first the emotional impact. You know, um, one of the things that is very challenging when you get a lung cancer diagnosis is that uh, at the moment, lung cancer is an incurable disease, particularly when you're um, diagnosed at a late stage, like I was, stage four. And so this idea that you are going to be in treatment for the foreseeable future until science changes is a very uh, challenging existential crisis that many of us face. How are we going to live? How are we going to negotiate that? And I think the very first thing is to acknowledge that this is a very unique challenge. It's very different than being challenged with um, a kind of disease or illness where you say, here's the beginning, middle and end of our goal for your treatment. This is an ongoing treatment, an ongoing conversation you'll be having. So that is the very first thing. Um, I wanna talk about the kinds of toxicities, Jordan, if it's okay to move to that now, that you experience physically. So physically, uh, again, you're in some unknown territory. And one of the things that happens is that uh, when you start, for instance, biomarker target therapy, which is really what I have focused, not only my lived experience, but the research I've been doing and the writing I've been doing. As you know, I just published a piece in the Oncologist Journal about the Shawl study, which was done with the support of EGFR resistors and Dr. Nargis Flores at Harvard and at Dana-Farber in Boston. 
which looks at intimacy issues. But these issues, for instance, uh, are often so surprising because your caregivers don't know about it. So in addition to things like you might have gastric issues or you're experiencing some fatigue, um, what we're really going to talk about today is that uh, you could have issues that deal with sexual dysfunction. And that was a complete surprise to me because I didn't see that. And so uh, I was getting UTIs with this incredible frequency. And one um, my doctor said, well, just stop having so much sex. And I was like, wait, sex is part of my my uh, treatment program. I, I was single when I was diagnosed. I get the great fortune to start a relationship. And it's really important to me, to my sense of identity, to my sense of purpose, to the quality of life. And these issues become really important when you're dealing with a long-term issue. I think they do. And I think that's a great point, Annabelle. I think also on the other side, sometimes some of our patients talk about issues with body image and issues with lack of desire. Tell me your thoughts on that. You know, there are a number of, of reasons why you can experience sexual dysfunction. One of them might be body image. One of them can be fatigue. I mean, there's there's a number of issues. Uh, I think what is really important is to A, to know that that's a possibility. And that's one of the reasons why I've been writing about this is because when it's happening to you, you feel really alone. And if your doctors aren't aware that this is an issue for whichever reasons, you don't get any support with it. Because I think saying just don't have sex is not it's not really uh, a good answer. And of course, as we know, for um, people, for like males who are um, going through like prostate cancer treatment, no one ever says, no one ever says to a man, I just don't have sex. We're like, well, let's help you with that. And and uh, in terms of what I, uh, the 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 issues are, I just want to say it's a uh, you know when we think about gene targeted therapy, one of the, the connections it it actually makes a lot of sense. The reason why this is happening is because your skin can be affected on a on a, a TKI, a targeted therapy, and uh, skin dryness, skin cracking. So imagine the inside of your vagina having that experience. Uh, but that connection isn't always made with doctors. And I think it's really important to be able to separate. And I mentioned that in specific because it's important to separate there's emotional issues and then there's physical issues. And they each have to be dealt with in a different way. And I think one of the pressing reasons why we're talking about this, Diane, is because as we know, more and more, and the majority of people who will be diagnosed with lung cancer this year in America will be young women. Issues of fertility, issues of sexual um, function, this is really important. I mean, 
I'm 62 and it's important to me. And I know that it's really important to young women to preserve their fertility if that's what they, if that's an area they want to pursue. And, and also the, the quality of life issue becomes really important if you're diagnosed in your thirties or your twenties. And one of the distinguishing factors of uh, lung cancer treatment is, is this longevity of the treatment. And that is something really important to understand when you're talking to your doctor that uh, you might be speaking to someone who spent a lot of their career in this old paradigm of treatment, which was much more short term because of low survival rates. Let's, let's, let's just say that now the great opportunity and challenge that we have is as we are living longer, these survivability issues, these survivorship issues, as we call them, become much more important. And they just weren't an issue. And so your doctor just might not be used to that kind of conversation. And also when you're dealing with things that are over a long period of time, like fatigue. Fatigue sounds like one thing when you're fatigued for a couple of days. When you're on a treatment for years that causes fatigue, that can really wear you down. And I, I think a, a point that you made earlier, uh, Annabelle, really stuck with me. You said, hey, sex is part of my treatment plan. You can't just tell me not to do it. So for couples, and you bring up young women in particular, as we're seeing those diagnoses rise, unfortunately, um, who may not be as comfortable, you know, broaching the subject. Do you have any advice for them um, how to even just start that conversation so that people can still have a, a good relationship um, sexually, but also feel good about talking about it? There are guidelines that are used in other kinds of treatment. There was a model called the explicit model, which uh, is uh, uh, a guideline for uh, talking about broaching the subject that can be taboo for some patients of uh, how is your sexual life? Because I we don't want to leave that up to patients to bring it up. It's, it's very difficult when you're in the room with your doctor and they're asking you how your medicine's being tolerated, you do not want to be taken off the new biomarker targeted uh, uh, drugs. And one of the issues that is very pertinent to this subject is underreporting. So a lot of people won't tell their doctors about this because of fear being taken off the medication along with how do I talk about my sex life with my doctor. And I think one of the things that uh, LCFA is interested in, as well as I'm interested in, is helping caregivers to uh, to be aware of these things. And just, you know, even our talking about this, for someone watching this who says, oh, you know, my partner is going through this treatment. I hadn't thought that this is maybe, maybe there's a, a physical issue, or maybe it's an emotional issue that is, making it more difficult for us to have intimacy. And so I think, you know, if we can give as much support to the person in treatment, that's fantastic. I think that that's so important, but I'm also interested, and I know that you have personal experience with this, is what if you don't have a partner and you're single and you're 
kind of out there and you want that part of your life to continue. Um, how did you broach that? How did you handle that type of situation? That is a great, great question, Diane. And, you know, in our little uh, cone of silence uh, meetups that I have with other patient advocates, it's a very interesting topic. So uh, one gentleman who has been in treatment for many years, uh, he said to me, because uh, he was in that situation as well, we were talking how did you do it? What do you do? You know? And, uh, he said, uh, I have a rule now. I don't bring it up till the third date because I had, uh, dates with women who were seeming to be interested and then, um, scared away. And I think that's an experience that can happen. And I know for me, I, I did not expect to be able to start a relationship when I was in treatment. And I think there's a couple of things that are important here. One is that, you know, we're living in a different world in terms of the kinds of outcomes for lung cancer. Uh, we are so fortunate. Uh, you know, my oncologist said when I came to see him the first time, there's no better time in the history of the world to be diagnosed with lung cancer. I thought that was a, a little over the top, but I understood what he meant. And that was tr that is true. So first of all, I think that we are living in a time where it does seem possible that one can begin a relationship. And I think everyone has to, to do this in their own way. I think lots of times, People have a hard time bringing this up with health professionals. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Do you think, especially if you're a wife or the female partner and you're not the one with lung cancer, that it's really helpful to go and, and you should feel comfortable, especially it depends on, you have to have this conversation obviously with your partner first, but to that maybe you're the one, as you said, women have an easier time talking about this sometimes that brings it up with the doctor. What do you think about that? Well, I, as I said, Diane, I think that uh, what's much more helpful is when your care team brings it up for you, um, because that really takes the onus off the person in treatment and the partner of the person in treatment. And I, I think that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I published in an oncology journal is I think we need to educate not only um, patient base, but also provider base. Uh, we, like I said, we have so much on our plate already. Having a difficult conversation, what might be a difficult conversation is really hard to bring up. And also part of the issue is the underreporting. So if your doctor is not aware of this issue, it's going to be, to be dismissed very easily. And I think it's also important if you have a doctor who you really like, but hasn't brought it up, that, that it's it's okay to have this conversation. I mean, that's, I think, one of the things that, that people need to hear, that this is part of life and that um, it your whole life has been turned upside down. Yeah. And the same for the caregiver. Their whole life has been turned you upside know, down. We, everyone has their own metric of, of what a quality life looks like. And I think that includes being sexually active. It includes wanting to look attractive, uh, whatever that means to you. And, you know, have, um, 
have the ability to be here for the important things that we each consider important in life. Annabelle, you, you talk about how there's just so much more to intimacy. It's not just sex. You know, everyone has, you know, different things that they're doing. Um, it could be with their caregiving team, not necessarily have to be a partner uh, that, that, that gives them a feeling of good. Um, and sex is just one part of that. So kind of an all-encompassing question here is what do caregivers need to know about that? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. What do caregivers need to know about this all-encompassing set of intimacy? Well, I think that one of the really important things to talk about is the kind of vulnerability that a person in treatment feels. And uh, it's really the kind of empathy that we all need for everything in life, just sort of like souped up because we know that someone in treatment not, might not want to immediately say how they're being affected. It you know, can take just like a little bit more of listening. One thing I think is really interesting is that I think the greatest thing is to be treated like someone who doesn't have cancer. One of the great things a care team, your support team can do is to treat you as if you and your identity have uh, are still intact. I mean, we all know we have been transformed. Our lives have been transformed. But it is a great thing when I'm not treated with kid gloves i love that that's a that's a, and that's a great way for us to end that this the segment well thank you and it's my pleasure uh i want to say that you know lcfa was my first destination after being diagnosed and it's because of lcfa that i got connected to the larger lung cancer world and i feel uh so uh uh, grateful to be part of the community and supportive of the work you all are doing and uh, giving me a chance to uh, reach people and the community is very important to me and it's very important to me to get to do that with you guys. What a great conversation with Annabelle Gerwich and registered nursing cancer coach Jenny Daniel. Both provided great insight into the world of intimacy for patients who are living with lung cancer. If you're enjoying the Hope and the Answers Living with Lung Cancer podcast, consider donating to help LCFA produce this resource. Remember, it's for patients or anyone else who are seeking answers, hope, and access to updated treatment information, scientific investigation, and clinical trials. Make sure to subscribe to the Hope with Answers Living with Lung Cancer podcast. You'll be notified every time a new episode is available. So visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can find more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and more. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.